0: We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 19, and I'm all by myself. Um, this is a kind of a special episode. It's going to be myself re-watching James Bond films through Dr. No 2, Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, and I also threw Casino Royale in there, not the uh, the new one, but the original one that's more of a, a spoof lampoon in there just for shits and giggles, you know, for funsies. So I might do a couple of these series where uh, I'm by myself watching entire franchises uh, and doing more capsule reviews throughout. So if you dig them, let me know and I'll keep doing them. And if you find them terribly nauseous and boring, also please let me know and maybe I won't. And without further ado, I'm gonna sit down and watch a whack load of movies. So, I decided to do this a couple weeks after I rewatched the first two films, Dr. No and From Russia with Love. Um, so, I'm coming at these two in particular not super fresh. Um, the rest of these I'll be recording as I rewatch, and this entire thing will be done over the course of several weeks or months, depending how long it takes me to get through all of these. So what struck me about Dr. No right away was that it was kind of an independent film. It's very much a chamber piece in a lot of ways, um, very small scale. It was done for a million dollars at the time, which I didn't look up the inflation for, but it was not much compared to how much they're being made for it these days. Um, originally, Cary Grant was considered for the role of James Bond, which I thought was fairly fascinating. Um... I was a bit lost during the Dr. No watching the plot. I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. I don't know if I was tired while I was watching it. I thought from the get-go that Sean Connery was ridiculously charming and, you know, and and he really is what made that film work and and the series work. I don't know with another actor in that role if it ever would have took off and become the series that it's become. And it's hard to really watch James Bond now without the misogyny being really apparent uh, and and forefront. Uh, I don't have a great comment for that. I don't really want to excuse it. Um, But it is there, and it's hard to ignore, especially the the whole concept of the Bond girl um, as it became. To that point, upon the film's release, um, one of the top reviewers said it was highly immoral, not overly great filmmaking, but it sure was a lot of fun, and I think that's a good way to to sum up James Bond and Doctor No in particular. From Russia with Love, on the other hand, I thought was phenomenal, and it probably still is one of the best James Bond films. Um, I'll have to I'll have to see if that holds up after I get through all of these. Um, but I thought, if nothing else, it really, really expanded the whole scope of what a James Bond film could be following Dr. No, um, given how big it was compared to how small Dr. No was. It's considered not only Sean Connery's favorite film, but Daniel Craig's favorite Bond film as well. So there's something to be said for that. Love that Robert Shaw was the villain. It took me a second um, because I'm most familiar with Robert Shaw from The Sting, which is one of my favorite films. And physically, he's very different in this film. But he's got that very specific voice that kind of sticks into you. And it took me a second to realize it was the same actor. So yeah, in terms of the first two films, really, really enjoyed Promership with Love. And I thought Dr. No was a great introduction to the character. Although I don't think it stands up as a really great film by any means. Yeah, so that's my take on the first two. And now I head into some of the very very iconic of the Sean Connery films Goldfinger he's the man the man with the touch a spider's touch okay alright so I've just finished watching Goldfinger and first of all I should not watch these things at night because um, they kind of put me to sleep sometimes Which, does that say something about the movies or just my lack of sleep? I don't know. Um, I remembered this one. I'd seen this one before, and I really liked this. I particularly enjoyed the ingenuity of just the scheme. Um, Spoiler, if you haven't seen it, the idea isn't that um, the villain is stealing gold but damaging... The U.S. is gold, so that his is worth more. So I always thought that was a really clever plan, and uh, and I appreciated it for that alone. Uh, there's some really wonderfully ridiculous stuff in here, um, and and that's part of the charm of Bond, I guess, is the camp value. But like, there's this idea that Goldfinger has built this room specifically just to explain his plan to other people. <laughs> He's got this. Um, pool table that elaborately turns over for a control panel that like pulls up a big blow up of a photo and then pulls up a a diorama of the same photo (laughs) for no real reason other than the theatrics of the villain Pussy Galore is this amazing really strong female character and then Bond kind of it's a very rapey scene the one that's in that that horse corral stable thing with all of the the straw. It's a it's it's a hard scene to look at and think it's charming in any way. Um but that's the thing that turns her over to his side, I guess. That's definitely the biggest problem with this film is is the outdated misogyny and that scene in particular is a really good demonstration of what's wrong with the bond of old. What I really liked was that um, opening up in this movie is the first movie where it's like Bond really feels like a spy that knows what he's doing in that opening sequence where he's kind of running around and he breaks into that silo and sets up that Bond. It feels like a man who knows what he's doing. It feels like a spy for the first time, where before he just felt like, I don't know. Yeah, so overall, I think this is definitely one of the better Bond films if you completely ignore that slightly rapey scene Somewhere in the middle, but and and I think generally speaking, these movies would all do much better if they're about half an hour shorter. Um, if they were paced up somehow, they're uh, they're they're missing the set pieces that kind of make the current films just really drive along and move. It's a byproduct of the era, and and you know we're trained now to watch movies that are much faster moving that don't have as much exposition and dialogue, but. I do find it makes it hard to really enjoy these films the way that I think people might have enjoyed them back when they originally made. So, yeah. And next, I believe, is Thunderball. So I just finished Thunderball. I have to say the first thing that becomes obvious with this one is that they had a much bigger budget than they've had in the past. Um, Doing a quick little Google search, it seems like this film cost either the same or a bit more than all the first three James Bond films combined. And you, you can see it. It's closer to the scale of what James Bond films are now. Uh, in terms of their scope and how much is going on. And the other thing that's really remarkable and impressive um, is how much of this film takes place underwater, especially the entire climax is underwater with, I don't know how many scuba divers are in that final scene, Um, which I got to say I didn't love. The final um, confrontation, I found myself nodding off a little during it. It's hard to keep track of who's who, even though they they do cut to Sean Connery quite a bit. It just makes it... uh, It gets repetitive, which, you know, is, is troublesome for me. I find that recently, I've noticed in a lot of films, I have a hard time staying with the action. And even if I'm not super tired... I find it puts me to sleep. Um, I just saw The Fate of the Furious the other night, and there was a couple of sequences in there where I just found the action was just... It goes on and on and on, and it doesn't have a clear clear trajectory. Um, And it just kind of makes me tune out of the film, where uh, I watched Free Fire the other night, uh, which is a much, much smaller film. But the action in that just kind of flowed. It had a point. Uh, It went from one section to another in a clear way. And so maybe that's just me. Or maybe it's films of today. Or our action films in general that I I have a disconnect with in some degree. But um, overall, this is a pretty solid James Bond film. Uh, The misogyny is a little less. (laughs) Although he still beds at least three women and one... He kind of he doesn't force himself on her. I'm talking with a massage therapist at the beginning of the film. Um but she, you know, is she playing hard to get or is he you know, a bit forceful? I don't know. It's 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 a thin line this James Bond female relationship thing that he's got going on. Uh yeah. So, I think I'm about halfway through the Connery ones. Um. Or there's only two left. Maybe. Maybe I'm further than halfway through. This is number four. So, uh, yeah. I can't say. I. Th- I feel like I've seen all of these initially at some point. Um, and it's the ones in the middle that I don't think I have, and the newer Daniel Craig ones. So uh, we're about to get into unfamiliar territory for me. Just finished, You Only Live Twice. Fun fact about this one, it was written by child novelist Roald Dahl, who, uh, if you're familiar with him, you know that he did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, The BFG, Fantastic Mr. Fox, James and the Giant Peach, the list goes on. And um, he had a very small screenwriting career. Uh, It included this as well as Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, I want to say. Yeah, he just did this and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So a very short uh, screenwriting career. And I guess he came to this because he was friends with Ian Fleming. And Fleming recommended him. And I guess Roald Dahl is quoted as saying that the original um, story in the book was a little more than a travelogue. And he had to basically start from scratch and create something out of nothing. And they gave him pretty much free range I guess he wanted to do something that was similar to Dr. No, that was very simple in story. Um, and the only thing that he had to do was keep the James Bond character, obviously, and uh, adhere to what was known as the girl formula, which was have three women for James Bond to seduce. One's an ally, one's a henchman, and the other one is the main Bond villain or sorry the main bond girl and uh the other two can die and usually do and this brings to me what (laughs) i mean here's my biggest issue with these movies and i think i've said this before it's mostly sean connery just comes off as such a douchebag um in these movies this treatment of these women is appalling There's a moment, not even related to these women, um, although I guess it is to one, when he's told that they're going to turn him into a Japanese man, which in and of itself is (laughs) a bit problematic. Um, You know, he spends three days learning the art of the ninja, and they put some bad makeup on him and give him a a weird wig, and now all of a sudden he's Japanese, even though his accent is abominable, (laughs) When it comes to speaking Japanese, but they're told that he—they're going to give him this wife, and they say something about her being having a face like a pig, and he—the look on his face when he's told that—he's so disgusted, and looks like he's about to call the whole thing off just because of that. And then, of course, he gets to this little island where he's to meet his this woman who's supposed to pretend to be his wife. And, of course, he doesn't get a woman that looks, quote, like a pig. He gets this gorgeous young woman, which he's totally fine with, and then, of course, instantly tries to bed. Um, But she maintains that this is just a job, and they got to be professional. And, you know, of course, he manages to break that down the next day. Um, So, to be completely honest, I'm not exactly sad that... The Connery version of these is coming to an end, a bit-ish. There's still two more down the pipe after a, a brief sabbatical. So I'm looking forward to someone else in this part, just to see if they come off slightly less creepy when it comes to the women. Um, you know, that's the biggest thorn I have in my side with these early James Bond films. The rest of this is kind of fun. I, I enjoyed the beginning. I really liked the setup, the idea... Of it being him trying to avoid a giant world war between um the Soviets and the US. Again, it's very uh very timely. This is the first time I really noticed the martini. I guess it was in Doctor No, but here it's mentioned someone makes it for him and they stir it and they ask him if that's the way he likes, and he says, Yes, of course. Which is not true. He likes to shake not stirred, so that's a I screw up. The ending of this movie is just non-stop gunshots blasting. And I gotta say, it's just that kind of stuff just kind of puts me to sleep. Um, and I think it actually did here a little bit. I nodded off throughout this. I find the action sequences in this are just... They don't hold up in a way that you would you would want them to, unfortunately they uh, they very much feel dated the shots are, are very repeated going back and forth the action's not tremendously exciting um, although for the for the time i'm sure it was given the context of it um, but it's hard to watch it and really enjoy it now so that's all i think i have to say about this one this never happened to the other fella So I just finished On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I won't talk about it too much here because I actually did a proper full podcast of it. Um, I believe it will be episode 13. I did that with Ryan Goldhar and Mike McFadden. I loved this movie. I really, really did. I was surprised how much I liked it. Um, I didn't know anything about it other than the fact that James. this is the one where James Bond gets married. Uh, I thought, finally... You know, in the context of, of the time, we had a James Bond that was not a complete sleazeball to women. We had a Bond girl, uh, Tracy, who I don't even know if you can call her a Bond girl. She's such a, a fleshed out character in and of herself. Uh, a really well written female character who is not just there to service him. Uh, I, I thought that was really refreshing. I was really kind of intoxicated by this movie the whole way through. I thought it got long by the end of it. I thought that you know, it kind of stacked set piece on set piece, and the, the Bobsled chase in particular by the end was uh was a bit too much. But Man oh man, George Lazenby is great. He's a fantastic Bond and it's kinda of sad that he didn't do more of them. Uh he's really refreshing after watching a barrage of Connery films. And I gotta say You know, Connery doesn't hold up for me the way I gave him a pass when I was a kid watching these movies, because he doesn't age well in terms of, you know, what we know now is to be not acceptable behavior, the way in the treatment of people and women and all that kind of stuff. You know, the action sequences in this film are pretty phenomenal. Uh, There's there's a rhythm and a pace that's going on here that's not present in the James Bond films that come before it. So, yeah, if you're one of those people that kind of skip over this one because they don't consider it a real Bond film, you're missing out. Honor Majesty's Secret Service is a solid, solid film and it might be my favorite of this first batch of the early Bond films. So, you know, check it out if you haven't before. I highly recommend it. So, I decided to watch one that I didn't think I was going to watch. Um, I decided to watch Casino Royale, the original, which is not technically, in theory, a James Bond movie. It's a comedy spoof that was done in 1967, which I actually think came out just before You Only Live Twice, Um, but I, I neglected to watch it before that, so... Is hence in this order. Uh, I can't say I love this. I think the only reason I bought this and own it is when I was going through my Woody Allen craze. I knew that it was one of his earlier performances and he was in it, and so I bought it for that. It's just not a great movie. There's a handful of laughs in it, but the rest of it is pretty forgettable. Um... I mean, it, you can tell just by looking at it. there's There's a number of different directors on this movie, and it tells. There's kind of a lack of vision. It feels like a mishmash, chaotic smorgasbord. Um, doing some quick reading up on the production, apparently that's how the production was, too. Peter Sellers was apparently a nightmare to work with on the movie. Uh, he and Orson Welles did not get along whatsoever. Actors, when they signed up for this movie, apparently didn't know that it was... Not a legit Bond film and that it wasn't a com- that it was a comedy. Uh hence the bad script, the not very funny script. Uh Peter Sellers wanted to play Bond straight and wanted to play it very seriously. So, you know, there's tonal issues with this film as well. Woody Allen had such a bad time on it that it's the thing that made him realize that he could direct, uh, given how poorly these people did. And he actually wrote the script for take the money and run in his hotel room during all the production delays that they had, which is uh which is a fun little tidbit in fact, one thing I really appreciated in terms of the jokes I liked when things were shot, and they just exploded really big I think that that I thought that was really funny uh, I did enjoy the idea the concept of them training James Bonds that would not be susceptible to women, and the idea that James had um, become less of uh, a sexist, misogynistic, creepy guy. But yeah, I mean, the film is just an utter mess. And I really can't say I recommend it at all. So that's that. Yeah. Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. Stimulate to tease me They won't leave in the night I've no fear that they might Deserve me Alright So I've just finished Diamonds Are Forever um, Back to Sean Connery Obviously And you know what I think I enjoyed this a little bit more Than most of the Connery films I think there's a little less blatant misogyny going on. Although the women have returned to really overly pleasant archetypes uh, compared to the, our, our female hero in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which I th- still think stands as one of the best female Bond characters that I can recall. In cinema. Overall, I like the movie. I like that, you know, there's this great variety of locations. We go from South Africa to Las Vegas. Uh, Ending on an oil rig is really fascinating and interesting. I mean, there's no shortage of, given how many films there are to this date, of the inventiveness of the locales of places. It's really quite um, interesting. I like that there's this central villain that's going on, Blowfield, although there's a campiness to this film that's really... I think it's taking a cue from the previous film. Um, But even with with Blowfield, now he's got, not clones, but he's got doppelgangers that that fill in for him. uh, For reasons unknown, really. I guess to hide from James Bond... Um, you don't really get a strong sense of carryover from the previous film, although he's hunting Blowfield down. I guess you assume it's because his wife has been killed, but there's no wink or subtle gesture to the Lazenberry film the way there is at the beginning of the Lazenberry film when he takes over for Sean Connery. So it's hard to know uh, how strict we're, we're keeping to this um, this narrative and the serialization of it. What else? I guess I'm not you know terribly sad that the the uh, Sean Connery era is coming to a close for the most part. I know there's one more that will that will rear its ugly head later on. I shouldn't say that. Maybe it's going to be great. Um I just I'm looking forward to seeing someone else play the part. Connery's definitely looking older in this one. It's interesting. It's a very different Bond. And with that, I think there's almost some kind of sense of him calming down? Is that the right phrase? Becoming more of a human being? Maybe. There was a moment where I kind of, my jaw dropped when, um, what was her name? Was it Plenty? There was a girl he met at a casino and he brought her up to his room to bed her and she was thrown out the window by some henchmen Uh, who then falls in the pool, and James Bond congratulates him on his aim, and he just casually remarks that he had no idea there was a pool below. Funny, because, you know, that's a funny observation. Not funny, because he really almost casually murdered a woman. So there's that. So no amazing or astute observations with this one. Uh, It's great, it's fun, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think it, it flows quite well. It is campier than some of the other ones, uh, but I think that's par for the course at this point when they really are playing into these tropes pretty heavy and hard each time around. But definitely the uh, the story structure, it's, it's, it feels a bit tighter. Um, I didn't find myself wavering off the way I, I, I was in some of the other Connery ones. So yeah. So I, I recommend this one, more so than I think some of the other ones, but uh, very, very much looking forward to a new James Bond when I get started with the, the next part of this series. So that's the end of part one of my James bond rewatch. Thanks for joining me. I hope this was helpful or informative in some way. Uh, check back in sometime in the near future. I'm not sure when for the future installments. This will either be a three- or four-part series. Depends on how I try to combine and group these things. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter, at Lalon Jeremy, and on Facebook for Black Hole Films. Also, leave a review there or wherever else you decide to happen to find yourself listening to this thing. And until next time... Go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.